Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Good morning. We have just had a brief synopsis of the lecture with Jayanti's gorgeous song. (laughs) Today's topic is happiness is yours. Now many people, or for a long while when people would say, are you happy? People would think, well, that's kind of a frivolous, a frivolousness of life. What, to be happy? What means happy? Actually, according to our founding fathers, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness should be something every person can pursue. What do they mean when they say the pursuit of happiness? Does it mean that we're going to get everything we want whenever we want it and nothing bad is ever going to happen to us? No. It means life will be there and we will have events that are not necessarily to our liking. They don't have to make you unhappy. Happiness, according to the Upanishads, is your basic nature. Your basic nature is sat chit ananda. It's the nature of Brahman, it's your basic nature. Knowledge, bliss, and love. Our basic nature is ananda, which is bliss. And that bliss comes from within your heart, within your very being. You know it. You feel it often in your life. Babies, you can see it in them. You can see it in a baby really easily because they're unaffected by the world. They have basic needs, but they can be happy in the middle of a mud pile, and they exude that bliss. How do we define happiness? As I say, it's not that frivolous, getting everything we want when we want it, always having the most exciting trip happening or everything you have ever wanted in your life. If I get a better job, I'll be happy. If I get that dress, I'll be happy. If I get, oh, that car will make me really happy. But none of this makes you happy for very long. According to the Upanishads, it's your basic nature. According to the Declaration of Independence, it's your basic right. You have the right to pursue happiness in your life. According to Jesus, he says it's within you. And when the Dalai Lama was asked, what is the best thing you can do for this world? And I think he was asked this very recently with all the political upheaval in the entire world. He said, the best thing you can do for the world is to be happy. It's not a frivolous pursuit. According to Holy Mother, if you want peace of mind, my child, look not to the faults of others. Look instead to your own. The whole world is your own. No one is a stranger. Is peace of mind the same as happiness? When do you feel the most content, happy, and fulfilled? Usually it's when you do have peace of mind. It's not some event you go to or some, something you purchase. It's something inside yourself. And it exists in your heart despite what's going on. Some of you, I'm, I'm, I know all of us have experienced this. We'll have some huge disaster, but in spite of it, we're, we're kind of, okay, we can manage this. It's not that bad. 
and you still maintain your, your balance and your happiness internally. I think everyone's experienced that. I'm sure they have. If only once in your life, I know you have experienced it. According to Ramakrishnananda, unbroken happiness goes by the name of God. Temporary happiness goes by the name of the world. No matter what we get in the world, no matter who we fall in love with, no matter our family, our friends, our pets, we always have to say goodbye at some point. And the happiness depletes. But with God, it never is gone. So how do you get this happiness? Oh, they have a lot of ways. The ones you're most familiar with from the temple here are the four yogas. These are the basic how to know yourself and be happy. And I think almost everyone looking at you, I think most of you know what the four yogas are. There's karma yoga, which is the yoga of work, where you dedicate everything you do to the Lord, or you do it completely detached from the results completely detached. You do the very best job you can in the world of action and leave it. Um, Jnana yoga, which is the yoga of discrimination, and that's where you analyze everything each day, make your choices. Will they lead me to the goal I want or will they take me away? Raja yoga, which is meditation, and now gaining a great deal of, of credence in the world of neuropsychology as a way to calm your mind, to level out the stress levels. Everyone should take up some meditation every day. And bhakti yoga, which is loving the Lord or directing all of your emotional nature to the eternal. That sounds pretty vague, doesn't it? In our tradition, you can choose an ishtadeva, which is one aspect that you consider God. We have many different ones. It doesn't have to be the same one. It can be Jesus. It can be Buddha. It can be Krishna. It can be Rama. It can be Ramakrishna. It can be your choice, the one that speaks to your heart, and you love them with all your heart. Now, the thing that I'm finding the most interesting right now is how much the scientists go about proving that all of these ways of the religions work. At UCLA, there's a great deal of study. At Harvard, there's a great deal of study of happiness, what makes people happy and why they are. And they all have things that you can do to increase your happiness. One of the most interesting studies that I just read was sent to me by a friend, and it was defining why we cling to unhappiness. And it's very interesting because this is a study by Alex Korb at UCLA. And he said the reason that we cling to these negative feelings of anxiety, pride, shame, is because they actually release serotonin and dopamine in our brains. They do make us feel good. Now, that sounds really strange to me because it stresses out, they interrupt our lives, but neurologically, they are making us feel good. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, that goes a long way to explaining addictions and clinging to them. However, we, we're not gonna stop there. He doesn't stop and leave us with, oh my God, I'm gonna be 
anxious, fearful, and I'm really going to be prideful. He says, pride's the worst one. Because if we cling to that ego sense of self, we're disconnecting ourselves from everyone else. Now, how do we get over these feelings? How do we counteract them? That was the whole purpose of his study, was how to counteract. There's another emotion that can supersede pride, shame, guilt. And that's why I said Jayanti's song. It's gratitude. If when we're feeling this tremendous, you know, poor me, oh, why did I do that? I'm so ashamed of myself. I mean, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do it? Just stop it. Take a hold of yourself and say, okay, what do I have to be grateful for? What's good in my life? What is good in my life? Why am I feeling this bad? And according to his studies, just looking for something to be grateful for immediately releases more serotonin than the negative feeling. You don't have to find it. But if you are feeling really low, take a look and see, well, what is good? What can I be grateful for? Now, I mean, I find here in Santa Barbara, all we have to do is walk out the door in the morning and we have a whole bunch to be grateful for. (laughs) I mean, we walk out and it's a gorgeous day. How many people, I look at the news and I see tornadoes and crashes and all of this. We live in paradise. It may not always be paradise. The external events may not be perfect for us, but we have so much to be grateful for. The other thing, he says, the next step is once we've decided to look at what's good in our life, label what you're feeling. Are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling angry? Just label it. Look at it and label it. Because putting a name to it immediately makes your brain think that you've done something about it. Now, I have no idea how this works, but they're doing all these studies. Labeling it will release the anxiety. Okay, now I know what it is. And you immediately feel a little better. I know Swami Swahananda used to say, if you have the flu and you're just so sick and you think you're the only one, you're really miserable. And he said, but as soon as you hear on the news that 200 people have this same flu, you you don't feel so bad because I'm not alone in it. Then after you have labeled it, you've taken the stress off your brain. He says the next step is then to decide what to do about it. Make a decision. If something's bothering, just make a decision. If you're wondering about, should I buy this car or that car, or how is the finances going to go, he said, just decide. You don't have to wait for the very, very best decision, just one that'll work for now. Because you don't have to get the best possible solution immediately. As soon as you make a decision, then you have also released a lot more serotonin in your brain. Now you have something positive to do. And the third one is really relevant for today's society. Or the fourth one is really relevant. So many of us, and I swore to myself I would never do this, are connecting with people via texting or email. And it's so much easier to text someone than to call them. Because somehow when you call them, it might take too long. And I don't have that much time. So it's easy to text. And you don't have to get involved and you don't have to answer right away. But according to these neuroscientists, this is causing more stress on our 
brain situation and our physical situation. We need to touch people, we need to actually hug people, see them face to face, have a conversation, go through the emotions and the, you know, the, the whole experience of a person rather than a removed out of context. Now that's one neuroscientist's version of how we can be happy. Applying it to religion, almost all of them say is go deep within and find your real nature. What I'm finding the scientists are saying is they're telling us how to go deep within in the world, in the context of the world. Because all of these things that he is suggesting makes us look at our interior life. Looking at what you're grateful for is going inside and changing your mentality. Labeling something is also making you look more carefully at what you're feeling. When I read them, I think they're just simply discrimination. And in the Buddhist sense, an analyzing, your, analyzing your every action. It's basically jnana yoga, as far as I can see. What is the eternal part? But he's not the only one who has done this. There have been many. And there's another gentleman who has related happiness with success in every aspect of your life. He said, so many people approach life with, if I get that job, I'll be happy. If I get that promotion. And he said, no, be happy, and you will get the job, and you will get the promotion. We're going at life backwards, which is in a Vedantic sense very, very logical because we are caught up in the world of Maya, the external world. We are not looking inside. As I was coming in the temple today, Jim said, well, one of his friends said a long time ago, happiness is an inside job. Nothing in this world is going to make you happy for very long. You have to get the happiness inside yourself, and then everything will make you happy, except if you break your leg. But you'll probably look at, well, it could have been worse. It could have died. We will look at the optimistic side rather than the pessimistic side. Why me? Why me? Why is everything happening to me? And if we want to be happy, that's what we have to do. No one's going to make you happy. Getting something is not going to make you happy for very long. You will have a momentary pleasure, but it will not be everlasting happiness. But this other gentleman who said optimism and gratitude cause happiness, not contribute to it, but cause it. And I believe his name is Sean Aker, and he's at Harvard. And his studies have proven that, yes, being grateful and being optimistic cause happiness. And how can we create happiness? Well, he gives us 10 ways, not just four. He says we have to get out in nature, Nature gives you a sense of awe and makes you feel there's something so much greater than yourself. The world does not depend on you. Exercise. Well, I think everyone in Santa Barbara is pretty good at that. I mean, even if we're not doing it, we're thinking about it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working on it. I'll admit this. I used to watch this yoga program in the morning, and I was going to do it. Instead, I would sit there and drink my coffee and watch the yoga program. <laughs> and as soon as it was over, I'd feel like I had done it. <laughs> well, the fellow who was on the television and 
led this program, walked into the bookstore one day, and I went, oh my God, you're breathe. And he said, oh, you do my yoga? And I went, no, I watch it. But it's on our minds. <laughs> don't make yourself feel guilty about it if you don't do it. It'll happen. Uh, spend a lot of time with family and friends. That's the way you connect and, and actually relax your emotions, your brain. Spend a lot of time. Sometimes we have rather dysfunctional relationships with some of our family. Spend it with your friends. The dysfunctional aspects will resolve themselves eventually. Or not. Depends. Express gratitude to people. Tell them that you're, you know, that was really nice of you to do that. Um, gee, you did a good job. Thank you. Just express it and meditate. Now, most of you have, I'd say a good percentage of you have a meditation program. If you can do it for five or ten minutes every day, that's great. They say that even that changes everything in your life. Next one. Oh, this one's a get enough sleep. Don't stay awake worrying. Don't stay awake distracting yourself. And how do you do that? Well, I've been reading all these studies. Okay, they did a study of Finnish people, I think 4,000 of them, 3,500 of them, who had less sick days and less days late for work. And they averaged out how much sleep they got. They figured the optimal amount is about seven and a half hours, give or take. So if you can increase your sleep to around that seven, seven to eight hours, it also lets your brain rest. And as they say in, in Vedanta, if you can get into that deep sleep state, you are the closest to Brahman at that time as you will ever be until you realize God in a conscious state. So if you can get into that deep sleep, not dreaming, not where you just are gone, your brain and everything, you're renewing your entire being. The next thing, after you get enough sleep, challenge yourself. Take up a new activity or learn something new. And I know I have a friend who's learning languages at 65 and 70. I find that just absolutely daunting. I think I would have found it daunting at 20. Challenge yourself each day. Not big challenges, but something to keep you interested. Learn something new. Go a place you'd never been. Meet someone. And this one was one that Swami Brahmananda recommended at all times. Laugh every day. Not the kind of, you know, ha, 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 that's ha. But really laugh. This, this is another one that they have proven boosts your immune system, reduces heart attacks, and you live longer. So really enjoy things. Enjoy life. Find things that make you laugh. They used to say that we should laugh every day at the table, which is some, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but it also betters your digestion. These, these emotions all have extremely concrete connections to your physical being. Sometimes brain management is a more effective way of physical management than the opposite. They work together, but it can be one or the other. I find it easier to think things out and then hope I can implement them. 
I find starting an exercise program is really difficult because I think I'm not much of an exerciser. <laughs> Sean Aker's ninth suggestion or step to happiness is touch someone. Cuddle the people that you're with. Really make physical contact. Not in any kind of romantic or sexual way, just touch people. Uh, and his last suggestion or guideline is to be optimistic. And the world seems divided into people who see the glass half empty or the glass half full. Some people, like, it became very, very out of style to be a Pollyanna. And Pollyanna always saw the glass half full. She always saw the good in everything. Now, it seems naive and not intelligent enough to do that. But is that true? Sometimes it takes more intelligence to see the good and to see the glass half full than it takes to see the glass half empty. Because we're bombarded with things on television every day and in the news, things that are so discouraging as far as looking at the world and the human race. And that seems to be, they want to fill our brains with that. Now, what kind of strength does it take to counteract that and see the good that's happening? Because in Vedanta and in the concept of Maya, the good and the bad are always in balance. So if we're seeing this much that is negative, there's the same amount that's positive. But how far do we have to look and where do we have to look to see that? Someone had recommended a video to me and they said, oh, you should watch this. It was called White Hats. And I think everyone's aware of what was happening in Aleppo and still is. These men are all volunteers that go out. As soon as a bomb goes off, they rush to the scene and save as many people as they can. Now, they do not discriminate which side it is or who it is. They are all volunteers, and they simply go out and rescue people. The reason they do this, as I say, they're all volunteers. They're family men. Many of them have their own children, have their own families, but they immediately go out and answer this call. And as they say, when we save one soul, we save humanity. Now, we're, not, we're blessed not to have that kind of situation to endure in our physical world. So our being selfless and going out to people is a little more difficult to find, but not in Santa Barbara. We have the most wonderful volunteer community I've ever seen. Everyone is helping everyone else. That makes us happier, too. We're not helping anyone. We're going out to make ourselves feel useful and valid. And it's good if someone gets help when we're doing these things, but we're really doing it for ourselves. We've been involved in Transition House for over 30 years now. We're not helping anyone. We're feeding them, okay? That's everyone's right. But it creates a feeling of well-being within all of our volunteers because they have made a contribution. And contributing to the general welfare makes all of us feel better. You all feel better when you, you know, help someone up if they fall, or if little old ladies like me are going across the street, you slow down. Mm -hmm. You feel better because you've done something. And we feel better when we act on our belief in, not even belief, our certainty of who we are inside. We know that we are, our nature is divine. 
And every time we let, we act upon that nature and do what gets us closer and closer to it, makes us feel good and happy. So I think that's why the Dalai Lama said the best thing we can do for the world is to be happy. Being unhappy, I mean, it's so easy to be unhappy. I've always considered myself a semi-optimistic person. I kind of go through life and don't see some of the things, which people can call, I think I was called an airhead and flaky. (laughs) Yes, I know I was. Um, Is that such a bad thing? I mean, is it? It's someone else's idea of who you are, not your idea of who you are. And why do you have to give them validation? You know who you are inside. Doesn't matter what they say or think of you. We have to know ourselves to be happy. And happiness is an inside job. Find that well-being inside yourself. In the Upanishads, I mean, it's the same old story over and over and over again. And it takes us so long to get it. Everything we do in this life, we have a choice. The good or the pleasant. Like Ramakrishnananda said, the eternal happiness is called God. The temporary happiness is called the world. When we choose the good, and we all know what the good is, when we look deeply inside ourselves, we become more connected with our divinity, and we feel good, and we are happy. Now we can break a leg, there can be... I gave the general report for Santa Barbara yesterday at the general meeting. And I read it, and I thought, it sounds like one disaster after the next, but it's been kind of a good year up here. (laughs) But in the physical world, it was really kind of a disaster with the rain, the winds. I mean, carport got bashed, two rooms got flooded, this and that happened, and it sounded like crime anymore. We need, like, some kind of awful happenings have gone on. But they weren't. I mean, they were, but it was not... Like, oh God, this is never going to end. It was fine. You know it's temporary. Everything's going to be right. And everything will work out. Now, is that being naive and silly to feel that way when you have a disaster? Or do you accomplish more or less feeling that way? We can go into the thing, oh, this room is never going to be fixed. This is never going to happen. And we can be unhappy the whole time. Or we can say, well, it'll get done. The things of the world go along on their own. They're going to happen or they're not going to happen. We are not in charge. We really are not in charge. We can do our very best and do everything we know how to do. And then we leave it up to, I leave it up to Holy Mother. You can leave it up to whomever you want. Your higher power, you can leave it up to whatever, the infant. I personally, once I've done what I can do, then I go, okay, now it's mother's will. And we will all still have unfortunate things happen to us, because it is the world. We will have various experiences. There will be people that won't like you. There will be people that love you. They're all going to balance out. And none of this has to affect you so deeply that it disturbs your equilibrium. I was also reading another thing about the past presidents and how most of them live in the past. They still have the sense of, I was the president of the United States. 
I was a very important man. I'm giving lectures. And they said the one who didn't was George W. Bush. He doesn't ever discuss politics anymore. He wants to paint. He wants to ride his horses. He wants to be with his family. They said people came over, his ex-cabinet members, and he never once opened his mouth about politics. Is that good or bad? I don't know. But I kind of found it amusing. I kind of like the idea of someone achieving what could be considered the highest position in the United States and then dropping it when it's over. Yeah, how, how hard is that? Not to live on your past reputation. How hard is it to move on? Let go of the past. Look forward, be optimistic about what's happening. As I say, the, the one thing that I usually always try to remember, and I'm, I'm not perfect at it, not anywhere near perfect at it, is Holy Mother's, if you want peace of mind, look not to the faults of others. Look to your own. The whole world is your own. No one is a stranger. For me, that pretty much sums it up because there's no one to fear, there's no place you go that you don't feel at home. You're not afraid of them. Because if you truly try and practice that no one is a stranger and the whole world is yours, you can go anywhere and you are yourself. You know who you are. So I find that something that I repeat to myself periodically, especially when I'm looking at someone and thinking, hmm, I think they'd do it a lot better if they did it my way, which is also, I, I feel, a human trait. But I'd like to ask some of you what you do to maintain a sense of joy inside, in spite of what's going on outside. Anyone have any particular thing that they do or a place they go that makes their heart expand and you just feel... Has anyone gone to the Botanic Gardens lately and walked through the redwoods? Oh, it smells so good and it's so beautiful. <laughs> Those kind of places make me feel good. I grew up in Washington State, and so when I first came down, they kept saying, let's go to the Los Padres National Forest. And we kept going, and I kept looking for the trees. <laughs> uh, seriously, for about five years, I was looking for the trees. It was, really? This is a forest? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And now I, I recognize it's a forest, and I love it. Yeah, Shubra? Well, I get up every morning, mm -hmm. and I go out and smell my roots. Okay. And in that love, I tell them how beautiful they are and how well they're blooming, and who wants to be on Facebook today? <laughs> so I yes, I've seen them, and they are gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. Uh, something when you wake up to f that makes you feel... <gasps> Smelling the roses, I go out and kind of... Actually, I have two cups of coffee before I go anywhere. I smell the coffee and think, mm, perfect day. <laughs> I always come early to the lecture. Meditate and think. It's very wonderful because my mother was singing. Yes. You're, okay. you're, you're giving me a concert. Another reason to feel... Those things are all things to be grateful for. We don't live in a war-torn area where nothing's growing. And did you notice both of them are related to nature, becoming one with the whole? I don't know of anyone who greets their computer with, oh, thank God you're here today. <laughs> now, I mean, I check it, but it's not thank God you're here. Yes? Well, a lot of the things that have helped make me 
the most is to have a routine. And I've kind of fallen off that wagon and I realize now that's what's happened. But to have that space created for you where you are waking up early to do yoga and meditate, or where you are regularly walking your dog in nature. Um, otherwise, it's easy to let it. It is, and you, you brought up one of the major things. Many people, and I was one of them, despise routines. I th- have always looked at a routine as confining, doing something someone told me to do. Um, I spent most of my time resisting it when I moved into the convent, and now I don't resist it anymore at all, and I have so much more time. I have infinite amounts of time for anything that comes up during the day because the routine is and it's done and it 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 has simplified life to the point of why didn't i do this a lot earlier you have time to enjoy everything that you want to during a day and as i say when i first moved into the convent and i was young then and a product of the 60s um it, resisting routine and being free and doing what you want is a big waste of time. <laughs> and I can say that from personal experience. Half the time you're sitting there thinking about, how am I going to be free? <laughs> and you're doing nothing, which is fine. But at least be thinking of something. You're letting your brain go into la-la land. You're letting your being be in la-la land. I mean, you're just, you're just vegetating, really. It's just more, as I say, you have more time to do everything when you set up a routine. Anyone else have something that, yeah? I feel I get a true peace of mind when I feel that I'm living a life of, of, of Mm-hmm. I'll be true to my values and uh, examining my values. That's... Yes. And just the joy of leading your life in accordance with those values is what gives me the, the peace of mind and the tranquility and happiness of what Yes. That brings up one other point which I feel is necessary before we implement all of these steps, the suggestions of neuroscientists. For m- what I believe sets the whole tone of everything is, as you said, live a moral life and examine. Set a goal. Now, the fact that you're all here on Sunday morning, to me, says you're looking for something beyond this world. So the goal of Vedanta is to realize your divinity or to realize Brahman or become one with God. That goal is not going to be done tomorrow, okay? Take a while. But if you think of that goal every day, then you set your daily goals. And when I say daily goals, it's to maybe it's this year we'll try and re-roof two buildings. This is a really mundane, in-the-world goal. And you set up different types of goals, some attainable today, your to-do list. We're going to redecorate or we're going to make a vegetable garden this year. And then you work at it each, each day or as you go along. But if you, you can't really go anywhere without a goal of where you're going. And when you say you examine your values and, and the moral ethics every day, yes, we do that. And that's where the Katu Upanishad came in and said, 
with every choice, it's the good or the pleasant. And the good is what leads to God or leads to your ultimate goal, the very ultimate goal. Is this getting me closer to God or closer to self-realization? Or is it a distraction? Is it entangling me more in the world? Now, I'm not saying we don't choose those to entangle ourselves a bit sometimes. We try to choose the ones that don't harm anyone or don't take us too far from the goal. Like if you want to go to a movie, sure, go to a movie. If you want to um, take a trip and see somewhere else in the world, sure. But you can also spiritualize all of those. Life is not separated into spiritual life and real life. Because what we call real life isn't real life. It's living the illusion and um, getting ourselves more entangled. But we are in this world. And if we're going to be happy, we should enjoy it. And think of ways you can enjoy it and see the good and be optimistic. See the good in, in the things that are happening in the world. Sometimes it's really hard. I mean, it really is. But as I say, in the world of Maya, in the world, good and bad, pain and pleasure are always in balance. They are in equal balance. It just so happens that before the news that came on in television with it in our faces every single minute of every single day and, and the internet, we didn't know half of what was going on and it didn't affect our lives. We tend to now feel that we're not connecting if we don't know everything that's going on. Well, how much can you do about everything? The best we can do is to pray for everyone and pray for the good of the world. And as the Dalai Lama said, be happy. Find your own happiness. And as Vedanta says, find that bliss inside, that ananda. We will end with a chant. Please join me. Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to immortality. Light us through and through with your loving presence. Peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.